0: Hello and welcome to Wives and Knives, a true crime podcast with me, Danny Smith. And me, Kelly Lee. Please remember that we mean no disrespect to anyone mentioned in this episode or across any of the Wives and Knives platforms. We have an interest in true crime and related topics and whilst we may offer our own personal views on certain subjects, it is meant to be educational and as lighthearted as possible. The information we present is collated from research gathered on the internet, and we reference and credit our sources wherever possible. Yeah, come and check us out on
1: the socials. On Instagram, we are Wives and Pod. Twitter, at KnivesWives, and Facebook, Wives and Knives. Uh, we've also got a website where you can check out photographs and source notes from all of our episodes, and that's wivesandknives.wixsite.com forward slash my site and you can also make some suggestions about cases on there as well
0: hello and welcome to this week's episode of wives and knives
1: yes hello and i'm hoping the sound quality is better this week um, and i hope the quality in general will improve as we grow and get more experienced
0: exactly um, so obviously this week uh, prince philip has died yeah and nicky graham <clears throat> yeah
1: and dmx and that guy from I can not always forget his name from Friday Night
0: Dinner. Yes. Oh, um, I love him. Yeah. Shit on it. Shit on it. And of nice squirrel's um, partner.
1: Oh really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Right. Yeah. It's a bit of a it's a bit of a depressing one. Mm. I'm sad about Nikki Graham actually. She out of yeah. you know like out of all of. I'm sad about well I'm not sad about all and of so it about but, Paul I'm, there you go thank you yeah.
0: yeah I'm sorry for Jane yeah I'm sorry for the Queen to be honest as I, well. I'm
1: sorry for the Queen I don't I have no you know
0: no qualms no qualms um that's all very sad yeah
1: what? I feel like the Nikki Graham thing It's like for me um she's she became quite iconic was it like was she in 2006 I want to say big brother
0: but that is you know she? who
1: is she oh bless her we're recording outside and there's a bee coming hello hi not bee coming but a bee <laughs> coming to me like she
0: yeah. oh it's good <clears throat> bees are good we need i know after i this. i love
1: bees i just they tickle so much i had on my leg the other day i went to the park and uh i was sat on the swings with the bean and uh one little um are they of like orange, the orange bum ones. I don't know the technical term. <laughs> I'm sure that's. it. Yeah, that's probably is. But um, that came and landed on my leg. It's <laughs> very cute little bee. But if you ever if you ever pick one up or that one on your hand, they tickle so. The legs that are so tickly. Like if I could pay to have bees dance on my back, that'd be an enjoyable half an hour. They're really tickly. That's probably
0: a fetish.
1: Mm, yeah. Well, we all have our kinks. Um. Yeah. So going off track before we've even begun.
0: What a week of death. Indeed. Which uh, leads us on to this case. <laughs> um, so what is this week's case? So
1: it's the case of the Newells, um, so I'll give you a little bit of a breakdown. On the 10th of October 1987, Nicholas and Elizabeth
0: Newell There's a plane going overhead now. So yeah,
1: I'm going to have to we're, we're back together. Like we're recording together, that's why. So I'm gonna just wait till the plane's gone. Is that alright? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like we're going inside in a minute. It's either gonna be planes, neighbours, bees. Right. Okay. Plane's gone by. Oh come on! Put your foot down or whatever the equivalent in a plane is. So yeah, on the 10th of October 1987, Nicholas and Elizabeth Newell disappeared from their home in Closter. Why? Why?
0: I'm so glad, when I read through this, I was like, oh, I'm glad that Kelly's covering this, because I can't say half of these words.
1: I think we could probably start a wives and I's drinking game right now, if it wasn't, well not us right now, because I need to drive home, but um, (laughs) any time I F up a pronunciation in this episode, take a shot fantastic okay so yeah they disappeared from their home in claus de l'atlantique in saint berlade jersey and despite extensive searches it remained a missing persons case until 1988 when police discovered the remains of a bonfire with burnt and blood splattered clothing belonging to the Newells near to their family home even with plenty of suspicion and rumors it wouldn't be until years later that the truth of what happened that night would eventually come to light
0: sounds really interesting and I'm super excited because I had never heard of this case before. So, before we get into it, shall we have a little catch up? Yes, let's. Um, So, I've had a lovely week really, it's been pleasant. I mean, I've got great back pain that I'm hoping will sort itself out soon and I've been told that my vision is poor at best. But I'm picking up new glasses next week, so what are you going to do? The rest of the week's been fine. And we have new social media followers and members of our Facebook group, so welcome and hello to everyone.
1: Yeah, hello. And as we record this today, I've just returned from my second vaccination. I was going to say my arm's a little tender, but do you know what? It's not at the moment.
0: Fantastic. Not at all, I didn't even feel it. It's probably because of the great doctor. Oh,
1: can't we are not, are we? Are we allowed to say
0: that? I don't know, he had a name that was basically like Willy related, and I yeah. really found it funny.
1: I did. Thank God for masks. Anyway, um, but yeah, as we record in this today, um, we're reunited
0: in the same area.
1: Yeah. So it's still socially distanced, technically. I guess. Yeah, we're in my yard <clears throat> Yarden, beautiful yarden, um, but it's we're sat in the corner of sunshine, and it's nice and warm. So yeah. Is it going to snow tomorrow?
0: Probably, Probably no, said so that, But yes, yeah, super sunny. We are outside. We can see each other. If you hear nature provided background noise, that's why. Yep, yeah, still socially distanced, but having an impromptu true crime garden party. And It's putting me in the mood for you to transport me to Jersey. Have you actually ever been?
1: I haven't, no. It looks gorgeous. And um, Sharon, who's one of our OG members, she visits when she can. Um, It's one of her friends who suggested this case to us. So hi there, Tracy. Hope you're keeping well.
0: You've set us up there, pal, because now we've new listeners all over the place. Do we need to acknowledge crimes in their areas also? Because we've listeners in Switzerland, Norway, Spain, South Africa as well as loads of other places, and an increased listenership in Australia and America, as well as the UK. So, hello out there to everybody.
1: Yeah, hello everybody. I just think it's totally cool. I mean, you say set us up, I say broadened our case umbrella, um, expanded our window of investigation. I prefer that.
0: So, are we going to do cases in all those places then?
1: That can be the name of the segment,
0: yeah. Cases for your places.
1: Anyway, Jersey. So, Jersey um, is an island and British Crown dependency near the coast of Normandy, France, and it's the second closest of the Channel Islands to France after Alderney. And the climate there is probably much like it is here today, I think, you know, relatively mild, similar to the south of the UK, um, but sunnier and warmer in general. So, a bit of history on Jersey. Jersey was part of the Duchy of Normandy, Whose dukes went on to become kings of England from 1066.
0: After Normandy was lost in the 13th century and the title surrendered to France, Jersey and the other Channel Islands remained attached to the English crown. There are 12 parishes of Jersey in the Channel Islands, and Jersey is a little nation of its own. It's a self governed parliamentary democracy under a constitutional monarchy with its own financial, legal, and judicial system. So we're going there on a trip camp. Why not? I mean, this is
1: where a mobile incident room slash camper van would come in very handy because we could just drive there and also go on a ferry. But um, like you said, Jersey is like its own nation and it has its own police force as well. And, and the states of Jersey police don't have the greatest reputation when it comes to major crime. And I suppose, you know, it's because as an island, they're quite fortunate that bad stuff doesn't happen that often. But when it does, the investigation's normally a documented shit show. And some examples of those major crimes for you. Um Danny, have you heard of the case of the young Finnish au pair, Tula Huck, um, who was found battered to death in a muddy field in December 1966? No. And like her murder has never been caught, like it could still be on the island. Um Ooh. Mm. And then there's the Beast of Jersey I heard Ed- that one. Yeah, Edward Paisnell. And he apparently stalked the country lanes by night and assaulted and raped children for 11 years before he was apprehended in 1971 for running a red light. Bloody hell. Yeah, and then there's um, the Rzeszowski, probably pronounced that terribly wrong, um, family homicides. And that's another interesting case too. Oh,
0: it's worth checking those out. I have never heard most of
1: them. Yeah, and so... I hadn't heard of the Newalls either until I, I looked into this, and it is such a big case. I'm, I am going to try and streamline it, lies, um, as much as I can, <laughs> um, but we'll see how we crack on. Right, so Elizabeth Nelson um, was born in Motherwell, Scotland, into a loving family, and they were. Um, she was sorry from a f- successful farming background, and her and her sister attended the best schools in Scotland, and had a pretty good life by all accounts. Um Nicholas Park Newell and his twin brother Stephen were born in Bearsden, Scotland, into a wealthy shipbuilding family and Elizabeth and Nicholas' childhoods were similar in terms of schooling, you know, like they went to the best boarding schools um, but they were both sort of had very different lives in terms or upbringings in terms of parenting, so it's probably a good time to talk about Nicholas Newell's childhood in terms of treatment and his parents were obsessed with each other so much so that they pretty much ignored him and his twin brother so other members of the family looked after the children mainly their granddad and granddad Newell wasn't a particularly nice man and he ignored and shunned Nicholas and his brother and the twins may not have had sort of like warm attentive parents or family members but they much like Elizabeth didn't want for anything materially and as I said they attended the best schools and then colleges in Scotland so both Nicholas and Elizabeth go on to do well, and in the, to do well in their respective educations, and both become teachers. And that's how they meet each other. And they were both teaching at New Park Preparate, Preparatory School in Saint Andrews. And she was fresh out of her training, and he was nine years her senior, and already an established teacher at school. And Elizabeth was already engaged, though, to Mike Hill, a junior doctor who she'd met when they were students at St Andrews University, uh, where she was studying modern languages. And once she meets Nicholas, she promptly breaks off that engagement to Mike and declares Nicholas the one. Um, Her family, who had really liked Mike, were a bit unenthusiastic about Elizabeth's new beau, with her sister Nancy Clark saying that Elizabeth changed when she met Nicholas. And she'd been like independent before him and apparently became a bit like a stepford wife and nan also says that the family thought nicholas or nick as he went by was an odd one and he was quite detached and aloof
0: that seems a bit like harsh and unaccepting but i can see why they're concerned if she's changing who she is that's like a warning sign
1: yeah totally and by all accounts his family weren't happy with the union either but for other reasons, um, his family were old money, they were connected and apparently like senior members of the Scottish judiciary, and they weren't happy about the relationship and the potential marriage of Nicholas and Elizabeth. And I read that they thought she was like beneath him in social standing, and like I said, like they're moneyed and apparently well regarded with connections to the Freemasons. you rude. I know. <laughs> and they go as far as to like try and sabotage the relationship
0: that's a bit ridiculous yeah also interesting like it sounds like both of the families are a bit shit
1: anyway true yeah i mean i think i feel like in general if you've got a like a good relationship with your parents or your parental figure in general and they don't like your partner i feel like you've got to at least hear them out
0: yeah like sometimes other people can see things yeah if you're so close you can't definitely but saying that it normally takes you to make the mistakes to realize that yeah it's yeah
1: totally it's only afterwards isn't it when you hear it and you think i should have listened That is yeah totally um but whatever like nick's family did and no matter how much both families tried you know it was clear that these two were in love and they were going to get married which they eventually did in 1963 um living in glasgow scotland and elizabeth wanted children and by all accounts nicholas didn't And I'm not sure if she knew that before she married him, but they do go on to have two children, both boys, Roderick in 1965 and Mark in 1966. So when the boys are still very young, in 1967, the family um, decide to move to Jersey. So there's a story about the move to Jersey that I feel like it's good to share because... As you know, Nicholas is a teacher, but teaching isn't his real passion. He's like fascinate, fascinated by boats and apparently was, by all accounts, like never happier when he was at sea. So they both decide to resign from the jobs, buy a yacht, um, the Chanson du Lec. And the plan was to not to move to Jersey originally, but the plan was to sail to the West Indies with the kids along for the ride. Um, but during the crossing from England, England to France, Mark got severe seasickness and they had to stop at Jersey and take him to hospital. And they fell in love with the island and just decided to stay.
0: That sounds really lovely. I think that sounds dead nice. It's, like, romantic.
1: Yeah, it does, apart from all the vomiting. Um, I read that apparently Elizabeth had severe seasickness as well. So I was like, well, why...
0: It was never going to
1: be It film, was, was it? no, but like, why would you be throwing yourself into sailing if your body's literally telling you you don't like it? Like, listen to your body if you're not going to listen to your parents. The family settle in Jersey and they buy Martello Cottage in Saint Brelade and it's lovely. And they both get teaching jobs. And Nicholas worked at a few of the schools on the island: um, Saint Michael's, La Rocquière, and Saint George's.
0: I was actually going to ask like how
1: did they finance all of this? Yeah well they'd inherited the majority of their money from the parents and that afforded them like a level of wealth and at one point I think they had like about a quarter of a million in shares but from my research I get the impression that whilst being wealthy in inverted commas, the couple weren't great with money so when they had money, they would spend it, and when the money would run out, they would take teaching jobs to generate cash.
0: That seems like such a shame, like, mm. oh, bird. um, I think I'd be great with money if I had a lot. I think I'd be really good with it. Uh,
1: mm, I, could t- I could possibly see myself being a bit like that, like I am very much.
0: Yeah, I can see you being like that. Thank you. Yeah i can see me just being really tight and measly like i'd be like mr burns
1: well apparently these guys were were that way a little bit at times like if they had to be but like when they when they had money they'd spend it when the money would run out they'd take the teaching jobs to generate cash but they yeah but they come across as quite blasé when it comes to like contracted full-time jobs and financial security yeah like
0: they won't appreciate the value as much no
1: exactly and it you know like that lifestyle works for them it su- it suits them so
0: yes yeah, so they can pick up and go on holiday without being tied to like hours yeah
1: exactly i feel like if you imagine if they were like now they'd be like gramming it up a storm oh yeah
0: you they'd know be, like, like yeah probably. they'd be
1: influencers wealthy poshos, like sun themselves on a yacht one minute and in the classroom the next um so yeah like we said that sort of sums them up like, life is for living, spend the money, it's come and go, we'll be re-, it, you know, but it gets better. Um, Nicholas also considered himself an accomplished author, and despite none of his novels ever being published, um, he did have a little success having some articles published in History Today and The Countryman. So, In a book that I read, um, Nicholas is described as being generally not well-liked by his colleagues and his family. Jesus Christ,
0: like one or the other. Well,
1: he's said to be like a stern, strong disciplinarian. Um, But also, like emotionally distant and remote. The coldest of cold fish was one way that he's described, and this is apparently the opposite of his wife, Elizabeth. Her older sister, Nan Clark, said that she was the type of person who was full of enthusiasm and a bright spark, and Elizabeth's friends, and most people, you know, seem to agree with that, like saying that she had a zest for life. I mean, she does sound like top company, to be fair. so yeah, Elizabeth doesn't get off completely unscathed either um, in this book. She's described as being quite stuck up and having a bit of a temper, and there's no shortage of like witnessed occasions where the where said tempers apparent.
0: So you'd want to spend time with her, but you just want you want to piss her off and get on the bad side. And he's a bit of a miserable twat. Pretty much, yeah,
1: yeah. But-, but together, a thriving and vibrant relationship. Like they loved each other. So, but what about the kids? And I mentioned earlier that apparently Nick didn't want didn't want kids and I just wanted to pick up on something that I read and it said that Nicholas would refer to the boys as Elizabeth's children like they were they were her responsibility.
0: Oh that's awful. Mm. That's um, That's going to have an effect on the boys knowing that's how their father feels about them. Mm, yeah.
1: Like I say, I, I've really struggled with this case. There's a few things in in here that makes makes them come across as pretty unlikable but obviously make your own mind up but like nicholas expected elizabeth to take full responsibility for roderick and mark and whereas one focused parent might have been enough for the boys nicholas also expected elizabeth to give him like her full attention to and she pandered to that So Elizabeth and Nicholas are as caught up with each other as their own bloody parents have been, and it—it's like
0: history repeating itself. I was just thinking that, yeah, that was his upbringing. Absolutely, probably does think that that is how it should be.
1: Yeah, and there's more of that to come, really. Um, And one of Elizabeth's friends, like later, said that Elizabeth loved her husband more than she did her boys.
0: That's really sad for them.
1: Mm, Yeah. I mean, can you imagine that sort of? If you transferred that, if you took it away from being two rich people to like maybe a council estate, that would
0: be social services. Wouldn't wouldn't it? It. So, who is actually looking after these kids if they're just repeating history and focusing on each other?
1: Well, pretty much like they—they're not—they're not running around feral. They—they they have a nanny, and from the age of six, they went to boarding school in Britain. And their aunt Nancy or as she. Really, goes by and um, used to care for them on school holidays and when the parents were away on holiday too and as did nicholas's brother stephen as well and i get like having help with the house and childcare, but to not want to spend time with the kids at all what what's the point in having any
0: exactly i don't know why they did
1: no i mean it's worth considering that these boys again weren't starved in terms of food toys or like expensive clothes you know they've got they have a good education and everything to the late teens, but overall they're starved of hugs and positive attention and love, And that's going to have an impact. Exactly. And it's something to bear in mind, like the children didn't understand the parent's absence in the life or lack of interest. And it's like that resentment grew as they grew, you know, they felt abandoned and neglected by those who should love them most. So after a few years at the house in St. Brulet, near, near to the prestigious Hotel Le Horizon, we should say there, you need to Google it, it looks amazing, um, the Newells moved into a new home called Crow's Nest, and it's called that because it was perched high on a hill above the Prince of Wales Hotel at Greve de L'Ac on the north coast. So yeah, where they lived, it it hosts views of Sark, um, which is another island, and the sharp-toothed rocks of the Paternosters, which is like a jutty-up sort of rock formation. Cool, yeah. So the house, despite the stunning views, wasn't in the greatest of condition, and it needed a lot of work and repairs, and they actually had to borrow money from friends, the Ellums, to do the renovations on the Crow's Nest, because they were again struggling with um, some financial problems. And a lot of their issues were that their running expenses were far too high for their incomes. And as I touched on it before, they aren't great with their money. So by all accounts, it's mainly Elizabeth, um, to be fair. And she's into sort of like making random big purchases and investments. And I'm not talking like a new computer or a car like for her husband, although I believe she did that too. Um, she once bought land that didn't exist in Mexico. <laughs> and also lost like 60,000 on sh- uh, yeah 60,000 pounds on shares alone in one single year. I mean again it's all relative because Jersey's like home to some wealthy people because uh, you've got to love those tax laws and by those standards that's probably not a lot of money but to us it is. <laughs> so uh, they also have a house in Spain too, and this isn't some sort of sprawling mansion, it's more like of a modest holiday home, but still, you know, um, and they had this whole other life out there in Spain. They parties with, you know, like people out there and they loved the life by all accounts, like he's writing in the sunshine and she's socialising with all the expat community. And Nicholas is, by all accounts, an absolute bloody delight in Spain. He's, like, funny and friendly. It's amazing what a bit of sunshine will do for you. But despite the fortune spent on the boys' education, um, their children had not managed to do as well as was expected. And in fact, uh, Roderick and Mark barely scraped
0: through. I can't imagine the folks are happy with that.
1: No, uh, I feel like it was a bit of a bone of contention, Um, but despite the lack of qualifications, Mark had managed to get a seat at one of Jersey's most important international banks, and he was smart and independent, and despite his lack of higher education, he was, you know, a promising young man. Uh, Roderick, or Rod, for his part, he entered the military with a career in the Royal Green Jackets Regiment, um, but the brothers could not be more different, like Mark was the composed, thoughtful son. Uh, he was he's described as shy and peaceful. And Rod is like described as the heartthrob, like vain, popular, like to be the centre of attention and to challenge your authority. Uh, I actually listened to a podcast called Murder Dictionary because they did an episode on this and it was I for inheritance. And uh, well, one of the hosts said that Roderick's the one that you want to sleep with. I quite enjoyed that episode. You should. Check I'll it have out. to Google him. Yeah, not sure. I think I, I guess what she's getting at is that Roderick's the bad boy. I'm mm-hmm. um, not sure actually. Do your own research. Depending on who you want to sleep with on this one. Um, so yeah, at this point in the story, the Newells are like semi-retired. They're spending a lot of time on the sea in the yacht and the boys are focusing on their uh, careers. And Mark's a true workaholic. He's quickly successful in his financial career and soon leaves Jersey for London. Um, Like he's, I guess, the quintessential workaholic. He's arriving early, leaving late, you know, um, and he's a bit of a whiz when it comes to the stock market, um, which, you know, for his financial flighty parents was pretty good news.
0: Yeah, did they want something to do with him? That I expect. Well,
1: I think he did start helping them. Yeah, definitely. Roderick, though, he wasn't as good at managing his money. And sometimes, when he's on leave from the army, he'd visit his parents to ask for financial help. And on one occasion, when Elizabeth declined, he is said to have lost his temper and punched his mum. And but she forgave him for
0: that. Shit. Well, I guess she's used to being treated badly by men maybe not to the same degree but
1: yeah i feel like once she forgave him though it's it sort of set a bit of a tone
0: you know yeah, yeah i feel like the boys have been failed by the parents though throughout the childhood and they, yeah they gave them everything they wanted but they didn't support them yeah it was things in terms of like top top notch sports gear and stuff they're used to it but as soon as they're adults they're on their own I'm not condoning it, but they had it easier than most. I understand why they reacted like that. The parents' example is get, 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 but they won't actually help their kids out.
1: yeah, yeah, I do also wonder I agree. I don't think they they wanted to help them out, but I also wonder if they couldn't as well as wouldn't help Roderick out because despite Mark giving them advice on you know like what to do with their money they chose generally not to listen and the couple quickly found themselves in another financial pickle. Unprepared to make any major changes to their lifestyle, they had no choice but to sell the house on top of the hill in Jersey. And Mark arranged the whole sale for them and they sold it to, to their close friends, the Ellens. And they downsized and bought a bungalow, which is uh, number nine, Closter de l'Atlantique in saint brel Terrible what was left of their money was already invested in like the lloyd's insurance company and i don't fully understand sort of financial situations and stuff so um i've linked an article which explains it probably better than i will um but nicholas is like a name in inverted commas at lloyd's and that means that He's put money in it's around a minimum of £100,000 when he joined a syndicate and by doing that him and the other members of the syndicate would then accept unlimited liability for its obligations and the members then share in the profits and losses sort of proportional to the amount that they put in originally and you can increase the amount that you invest and that's something that Nicholas um, apparently was considering doing in the mid-80s and that sort of investment in lawyers is a big part of their income. Like it's their financial security. Um, Mark advised his parents to withdraw the money from that invest investment. And he's like 19 at this point, And you know, a financial genius. And he'd heard some worrying things and it turned out that he was right. Because in 1985, his father's syndicate had been exposed to like massive env- uh, environmental and asbestos linked claims. And in the late summer of the 1987, the Financial Times started reporting that Nicholas's syndicate could be liable for as much as 250 million. Oh my god! Yeah, it'd have a massive impact on their life. Like they could be paying that off for the rest of their lives, and it would, you know, it'd be like quite a large chunk a year, um, around like 30,000 pounds. And if you know the debt was still there when they died it would pass to the sons Yeah, Um, I think Nicholas had a little bit of foresight on this and he actually um, had a clause in his plan uh, like in the legalities of it where if they died it would stop, it would die with them so it wouldn't pass to the sons so on Saturday October 10th 1987 the brothers, Roderick Uh, who's 22, and Mark who's 21 at the time, arranged to meet their parents in Jersey to celebrate Elizabeth's 48th birthday. And they arrived at the parents' bungalow at 8 o'clock and an hour later, Nicholas and Elizabeth, um, who'd been having drinks with friends, arrived home. And the family then drove together to the old Seacrest Hotel near Corbiere Now whilst they were there they had a lovely time um, racking up a £130 bill which included champagne, about three bottles of wine and lots of expensive seafood. Um, The lobster was apparently comped by the way because Elizabeth complained Um, but Mark picked up the bill. Mark who wasn't a big drinker anyway he drove them all back to the house and he later left for his apartment on the island and Elizabeth went up to bed. And that left Nicholas and Roderick ca- catching up over an 18-year-old malt whisky.
0: Do you like whisky? I'll drink it, but I don't think I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, mm, yeah it's completely wasted on me. I'm not a lover. Um, anyway, so the next morning, shortly before nine, Elizabeth's be- best friend, Maureen Elham, the one who'd bought their old house, she dropped by with a bouquet of flowers for a friend. And Roderick answered the door, telling her his parents were still in bed um, they chit chatted for a bit and then she left, like not necessarily concerned. And that's you know, that was fine until later on when she returned home and there'd been no call from Elizabeth. Um and those two were like in regular daily contact. So Maureen calls every day for the next few days but no one answers. And she wasn't like massively worried because the boys had left the island on Sunday afternoon. and um, they took separate flights within half an hour of each other. And the Newells like were often taking trips and they were actually due to go back to the house in Spain on the 20th of October, so they wondered like had that been possibly brought forward, Um, but soon the Newells began to miss appointments and the friends really began to worry and they'd been due to visit Sark on Wednesday to see Uncle Kenneth, but they hadn't arrived. And then on Wednesday the 15th of October there was like a really bad storm and the Elms wondered if they'd actually had in fact made it to Sark but then had become stranded. So by Friday they're getting really worried. So they call the Newell's neighbour, a guy called Paul Shearer, and they ask him if he'd mind going round to see if they're in. And he did so and along with a friend he decided to check the back of the house and they climbed a wall and they found that the back sort of veranda doors were open And everything seemed normal, like there was food in the fridge, condiments on the table, and the ironing board was set up. The only thing that was a bit weird was that it was really, really hot in the house. So David Ellum, Maureen's husband, he wants to go and see for himself, and he's got a key to the property. So off he pops, and it's, like Paul said, it's stifling hot in the house. And he sees that the thermostat's been overridden to keep the heating on high, like, all the time. And he also finds Mark's ex-directory number because they had no way of contacting the brothers. So yeah. so Maureen, she rings Mark and she's, you know, she dealt with him during the sale of the house. So she knows him and she tells him what's going on. And she asks if he knows what their parents, like what his parents' plans were for the week. And they run through appointments that they're both aware of. And it's obvious that more appointments have been missed and that something is very wrong. And Mark's concerned, and he starts to contact the wider family and other friends all over the world to, like to check if they've heard from them or know anything, but no one has. And both of the boys are expressing concerns and make plans to return to the island. Uh, Roderick arrives on the 18th, and he's collected at the airport by the Elms. And Mark arrives, and they all go first to the bungalow, um, where they've been with their parents just over a week ago. And then they go on to the States of Jersey Police Headquarters at Rouge Bouillon. I think that's how you pronounce it. And they explain the situation. You know, last time they'd seen the parents. At first, the police didn't really treat this as an emergency. Like they were, there wasn't really any suspicious circumstances. Just sort of two adults who couldn't be located. But that storm that I mentioned earlier had been quite the event on Jersey. Like I think houses had been ruined, and they just had a lot going on that week so the police had reacted straight away they'd set up like a major incident room which isn't standard procedure and they were speaking to the family particularly roderick i'm just going to call him rod from now because i hate saying roderick i find it a really hard word to say roderick 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 rod rod okay so yeah they spoke to everybody but particularly rod and mark and other family members were also making the way to the island. So Nicholas's twin brother um Stephen arrived. And he goes to the house and the police officer at the house is like, Oh, you're back. Until he explained was <laughs> It's like, Oh great, problem solved.
0: That's a proper excuse. Like, so this style whole case thing. is a
1: bit scooby-doo to be fair. But um Nancy and her husband Alistair also headed over and when they arrived they went straight to the police headquarters and pretty much the entire family including granny nelson descended on the island and they all stayed at the atlantic hotel at Lemoy which is about a few hundred yards away from the bungalow and let's just take a moment to appreciate the surreal scooby-dooness of this because there's the family mm-hmm. and they're all staying at the four star hotel which is sort of like unofficial base of operations for them and there's in this hotel there's an art exhibition on and like friends of Elizabeth and Nick are visiting this hotel for this art exhibition, chatting to the family. Oh, any any news and everything. And there's also a film crew who are filming an episode of *Bergerac* in the bar. I
0: know what this is now, um, because I asked my fella, and he told me it is a crime thing that was recorded in Jersey. Well done, very proud. Well, I I did actually used to
1: watch it as a kid, and um. The guy who plays right John Nettles. Is that um, Inspector Morse? I'm not sure. No, he didn't. I think he did Midsummer for a <laughs> Midsummer bit. Man. Right, yeah. cool with it. Um, I'm not. I've not. Is Morse still being made? Because I haven't. I haven't watched it like for a while. Because I know the guy who used to play Morse obviously sadly died, didn't he? Is there some? Is it still being made now?
0: I have to Google
1: that. I used to like it. Anyway, back to Um... So yeah, the guy who played Bergerac, he actually later did a plea for help in the case as well. So yeah, it's all a little bit, it's all a bit mad. And uh, Detective Inspector Graham Nimmo, he was placed uh, in charge of the case, and I think he was originally from Manchester. Um, but he organised a search of the near- nearby area, like the coastlines and the sand dunes specifically. And he also engaged with the French Coast Guard. I think they're called. I think they're called COSMA, or COSMA, and to see if they could help. And extensive house-to-house inquiries continued, posters were printed, and hundreds of people were interviewed, and it sort of helped to build up a good overall picture of the Newells. And the boys were interviewed, naturally, and Graham Nimmo had spoken to them that first day back on the island at the parents' house, and then they were interviewed at police headquarters as well. And their stories are consistent, they joined the parents the morning after the birthday meal for breakfast and later lunch before leaving, uh, leaving the island at around three o'clock. And I get the impression that the family and the friends of Nicholas and Elizabeth made it like, quite hard for the police not to ignore this case because particularly Maureen Ellen Elizabeth's best friend, and Nan Clark, who's Elizabeth's older sister, Maureen in particular had noticed a few things that she thought warranted a further look like the black rug from in front of the fire was missing. There'd been a stain on the carpet in the master bedroom um, that she thought was like coffee and she pointed it out to Rod and that had now been cleaned up. And she was convinced that something was up because the house like just didn't feel right. So um, eventually forensic scientists are called in and they spent four days in total checking the house um, alongside police officers, including the active the acting chief inspector. And I think it's he's the guy who mistakes Stephen for uh, Nicholas. Anyway. Oh, cool. Okay. So blood stains are found in the house and in the bedroom, and both sort of areas revealed signs of being washed. Like there was J-cloth fibers, um, which were which matched the ones that were stored in the kitchen. And there was like specks of blood found. And everything was analysed. And the samples that were taken from the lounge were the same type as Nicholas's blood. And the bedroom samples matched Elizabeth's blood. And officials concluded that Nicholas had been attacked in in front of the fireplace in the lounge while Elizabeth had been attacked in the bedroom. And so the disappearances were now officially being treated as murders. So hundreds of volunteers joined the police. In searching for the bodies of the victims. Um, helicopters, dogs and like radar were used to no avail. And because Rod and Mark were the last known individuals to have seen the parents alive, like they were, you know, questioned extensively and they reiterated what you know what they'd originally said, that they'd left the parents alive and well. It was in 1988 that the police had the first breakthrough when they discovered the remains of a bonfire with burnt blood splattered clothing and other belongings of the Newells near to the family home. But despite extensive searches, including help from the UK um, search dogs, which were used in the Moore's murders case, and I think I sent you... Yeah, Yeah. they're from the Lancashire dogs. They were, yeah. And I think they, like, in this book I read... The Proper tried to train these dogs, like they kept them on the island for ages. So, like we're we're not letting you go until you find something important. Poor dogs. Aww. But I was like, ooh, local connection. <laughs> local dog, Yeah. Um, yeah, so bless them, the local Lancashire dogs. They they didn't help much, not for want of trying. Um and they also uh called in a Guernsey medium to help with the case. Yeah. Um but the bodies weren't found. So the, the disappearance of, you know, the Newells was the main topic of conversation on the island. And, you know, th- there was lots of rumours floating around about you know, what had actually happened. Mm. And the Ellams insisted that the search continued. As the months turned into years, obviously the hunt diminished. And Roderick, who hadn't been happy in the, in the army for quite a while, finally decided to resign. And he spent much of his time a- aboard the family yacht on the Mediterranean. I think the investigation brought to the brought to the forefront basically of the cold relationship which had existed between the brothers and the parents. And I think the family also kind of thought and friends thought whilst the story is plausible, there's so many things that make it suspicious. They had a motive. They did, yeah both were suspe- were suspected of involvement in the disappearance and like I said that comes from the police and the family but nothing concrete was like uncovered to connect them officially to the crime so whilst they knew essentially that the boys were involved they couldn't prove it and blessing detective Nimmo he retired in 1990 without solving the case and I felt a bit sorry for him because he put so much time and effort in but there was just nothing so, on January 3rd, 1991, Elizabeth and Nicholas Newell are officially declared dead. And their sons, Rod and Mark, inherit their entire estate. And Mark's, you know, at this point, a successful, well, quite a big success in the financial world. And Roderick's continue, continuing to, like, live the life of Riley um, on his, you know, roaming around the world on his yacht. But like we said, something didn't sit well for the family. And they were pretty convinced, and the friends were, that something had happened and the boys knew what had happened. Uh, And it seems that maybe Roderick was having possibly a crisis of conscience as well because it said that he had admitted to a girlfriend that he'd killed his parents. So in June 1992, Rod visits relatives in England and he's bringing up the subject of you Know his parents, and he's also saying a few things that making the family think, Is he about to crack? With that information, a few phone calls um fire off between Maureen Ellum, the police, and Nan Clark, and they find out that Rod is going to visit um Uncle Stephen, his father's twin brother, in Scotland. And when someone informed Maureen Ellum of this back in Jersey, that Rod's been saying some things. She calls the police, and they, in turn, notify the Scottish authorities. And they actually approach Stephen Newall and they ask him, "Would he be open to potentially wearing a wire Ooh. during his his upcoming conversation with his it's nephew?" Getting <laughs> And Stephen agreed, and he arranged uh, to have tea with his nephew in a private room at the Dunkeld House Hotel, and you know the like i said do your own research but there's some there's there's quite a lot of um espionage and planning that goes into this um from the police and from friends and family to really make this like come off and it's it's pretty good um during that meeting rod actually breaks down and he fully confesses to how he had beaten his parents to death and um, he's, he's old long-term resentments were brought to the fore in the conversation with his father and he just lost it he reiterates that mark wasn't present during the killings but he had assisted in the burial of the bodies and what he actually says is that you know after the birthday party meal they get back to the bungalow and his father and him having a chat he attacks his father after mark's left sorry i should have said that he attacks his father after mark's left yeah and then his mum hears something going on. He goes up and he kills his mum. So the end of the confession, the conversation, which lasts, I think, about four to six hours. Like, it's a long time. Wow. And the police are, like, in the room next door. And um, at one point, they go walking around the grounds of the hotel and they don't know, like, they lose, you know, like, there's no recording of that. Yeah. So God knows what else was said. Anyway, at the end of the confession, Stephen asks his ne- his nephew... The obvious question of why, and Roderick replies, "You wouldn't understand because I don't understand." Now, because like I said, a lot of planning went into this. So because of the confession and how it had been procured, and it was sort of like not a standard under procedure. No, and um, they were very sort of aware that they needed to check, you know, like that it would be it would stand up in court. So they police sought legal. Like advice as to you know how it would be admissible in court, and that process took days. So the police follow Roderick from the hotel when he leaves, um, and they're trying to you know get the go ahead. Yeah, yeah, we're good, we're good, we're good to pull him over. And during that time, they lose him. So yeah, he manages to leave and he gets back on his yacht and disappears. So again, you know they've got the evidence now. They just need the man. So August the seventh of nineteen ninety-two, the yacht was actually intercepted by a Royal Navy frigate, and Roderick was not for getting on board because he probably knew that it could be a trap. Yeah, but they managed to sort of convince him. Oh, it's just a regular check. You know, you just need to come on board. And I think at one point they're like, he's like, "Well, you come to me," and like, "Oh, well, we would." but we've got a problem with this part of the boat, so unfortunately we can't do that at the moment. He's like, oh, okay, that sounds completely plausible, fine. Jumps on board. (laughs) And when he gets there, they're like, oh, we've got a bit of a surprise for you. Uh, And he's arrested. So he's arrested and he's incarcerated in Gibraltar. And although he fights extradition, he is eventually returned to Jersey. And Mark um, is also arrested, and they pick him up in Paris where he lives. Roderick's confession, the murder charges against Marker dropped because Roderick's taking full responsibility. And so Roderick stands trial in nineteen ninety four for the murders of his parents because there's actually proof that he'd gone and he'd purchased like tools, tarpaulins and plastic sheets before
0: the killings.
1: Oh. So you know, there's a lot of premeditation there.
0: Yeah, it's not, he made it out like he just flipped, but... No, no, no
1: absolutely not. Yeah, I mean, I, I there is a part in that book that I read and it clearly says, you know, he goes down to the hardware store and he buys all this in preparation. Mm. So I, I would actually believe, if it wasn't for that, I would have believed yeah, that he flipped. So, yeah. And because of that um, evidence, Roderick Newell is sentenced to two concurrent life terms in prison and Mark Newell is convicted of assisting his brother after the after the fact of murder and he's um, sentenced to two concurrent six-year terms. Now Mark serves less than two years of his sentence and that's a fact that many police at the time were very disappointed with. I'm disappointed with it as well. Yeah despite attempts to like block the will by relatives Mark Newell was left about half of the estimated 900,000 estate of his dead parents and it's assumed that he invested it while, wisely while he was in prison. And <laughs> uh, Roderick, he actually came back to Jersey, like I said earlier, to um, serve out the rest of his term. And when he came back to Jersey, he actually gave the police, the, the authorities, a map indicating where his parents grave was. Because they'd searched like the whole island and hadn't mm. found them, so they were like, they've got to be close, they've got to be nearby. And with the use of this map and his sort of like personal direction on the site, October two thousand and eleven, the police recovered the bodies of Elizabeth and Nicholas. Um, Roderick was actually released from prison <laughs> after serving around twelve years of his double life sentence, um, and. He actually, I think originally he was in a prison, so he's in Morocco, comes back and he's in a prison in Lemoyne, Jersey. And then he must move to an open prison, um, Ford Open Prison near Arundel. And because whilst he was there, he was actually allowed to work as an IT lecturer at Chichester College. Oh my God. I know. And I've got a quote here and it says, um, in Mr Newell's case he was directed to us for work experience his work has been exemplary and resulted in the offer of employment as a technician he's now focusing on reintegrating himself into society on his release and I would echo the reported comments made by his uncle that while what happened was an awful family tragedy he should now be allowed to get on with his life so I guess um, like there's like I said I tried to streamline it as much as i as i could and there's probably a few little interesting things that i've missed out there obviously we'll, we'll discuss it discuss the case now but i genuinely feel like uh, i'm not convinced that mark's as uh clean as as he's implied in the case yeah not at all because i mean i think his brother said to him he allegedly killed his dad and then rang mark and said look this is what i've done if you don't help me i'm gonna kill myself And so, like Mark, obviously, felt that he owed his brother and went to help him out. But I just think it's there's like there's a few things like they used a different car to
0: go because apparently it wouldn't his car wouldn't start. They both benefited so much, didn't almost Mark more seemingly. I I think their sentences were incredibly short. Like, Mm. as much as I can completely see the relationship that they had with their parents is toxic, Mm. but a lot of people have toxic relationships with their parents and don't beat them to death. Exactly. Yeah. Those sentences were fucking short, and if I had a kid at Chichester College, I would be concerned. Well. It's like, how much do you believe, like, he won't do something violent again? Yeah, because the thing is, like... Essentially, like you just
1: said, how many people are don't have great upbringing and don't go on to do like something terrible in the future? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, loads.
0: So and how... his upbringing was bad <clears throat> in yeah. one respect, but in another, it it wasn't at all. Exactly, it wasn't horrific. No, he was just he had shitty parents. What? Yeah, exactly. So fucking what? Like, but I
1: wonder if because he had. Um, like his mum apparently he's got a really bad temper so you're not telling me that somebody you know like who's saying that they had a really bad temper was the reason they flipped and killed the parents might do the same to somebody if they knock a cup of tea over
0: yeah it's still do you
1: get what I'm saying? like it's just because it it was like just because his violence is only attributed to a temper tantrum because his parents were going to squander all of his inheritance like, he's not a threat. I don't agree Yeah, just with that.
0: because they're attributing his silence to one set of circumstances doesn't mean that's the only set of circumstances that are likely to trigger it. Exactly. So, yeah, worrying. Fucking minute sentence. Mm. Even more so for Mark, who's still got loads of the money. And he's doing very well for himself. He's doing great. You can,
1: you can find him on LinkedIn and Twitter and stuff. Like, he's easily found. Yeah, I don't know. And... Uh, I'd go back. Go back to that point about um, Roderick being the one that you want to fuck. Don't agree. I feel like you make an investment which should sort you out. I'm thinking like Mark's the one I want to fuck. Really, if we're going to discuss that,
0: which I just have. So um, I'm just getting photos of them so I can comment on this.
1: You've got to. Th- you've got to think as well. This is the '80s, okay. so I get. I get what they're saying
0: about. Rod. I mean, I wouldn't have been fucking anyone,
1: but no um neither personally yeah but if you had to choose like um i don't find either of them attractive
0: I'd probably the one that was better with money it'd be yeah, more attractive to I'm me saying,
1: Yeah, like i feel like everyone was missing out like rod is a bit of a liability i feel like mark that's what i mean i feel like mark's got the bad boys are overrated they are you need so, clever boys exactly that's what i'm saying really? like give me give me a, a return on investment Mark's not bad looking. Mark's like works, what seven till eight each day. Probably has...
0: doesn't have the energy.
1: Exactly, but he he can like love you forever. What has this
0: turned into? Honestly, I don't
1: know, but... it's interesting. It's an interesting listen.
0: It is an interesting <laughs> listen. Um, mm. That was such an interesting case and one that i never heard about. Mm. We've said interesting so many oh. times again.
1: Well, yeah, we had this chat before. How many different... Well, we need suggestions from our listeners for alternate words for interesting. Fascinating.
0: I have some very literary friends. I'll get them on get it. Get them on it. <laughs>
1: Cause without, but then it needs to be so we don't sound completely muggy, because I feel like I don't say fascinating. That's... It was a fascinating case. See, I just think you sound... I think like a tasse. Well, the way maybe it's our tone, but the way I say, "Oh, that's fascinating," I feel like it sounds like I'm taking. But it is yeah, And I'm not, but I do
0: have that problem anyway. It is a good case in the discussion of um, nurture having an impact. And... Definitely. Mm. It is an interesting case, and there's there's lots to read about it,
1: and um, make up your own minds, but yeah interesting one for jersey
0: for tracy i hope tracy's enjoyed it Um, next two cases that i'm doing are from usa both of them so my next two are going to be kendrick johnson Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and dirty john
1: yeah
0: i'm excited about that one because i'm not that au fait with that case so yeah dirty john is a It's a great case because it's very completed. Mm. Like, I felt this was good because it was completed.
1: Yeah, well, I think we're hoping to do a few... It's nice to have some
0: completions. So, obviously, Kendrick Johnson is open and very much, like, a problematic case, Mm. whereas Dirty John, although it tackles really um, worthwhile issues, is a closed case. So, they're my next two. I'm not sure where I'm going to go after that. What are you planning to do next, Kelly?
1: Well, I'm not 100%, to be
0: honest. Um, I'm not sure... Go out
1: on Wednesday as per, and then we'll have another mini the following week. I'm really not sure. I've been there's been a few cases that I've been looking at. I'm interested in possibly doing like an a Indigenous Australian case, maybe because I think there's a lot of cases that fall by the wayside, don't have as much coverage in that respect. Yeah. So I think that would be interesting. Um, and then I've got we've got Helen McCourt. Yes. Haven't we? And we also mentioned about doing Ben McDaniel earlier, yeah. didn't we? So, watch this base or yeah. suggest something for me. And the
0: next mini is quite a case as well.
1: It is, yeah. I look it's forward to it. It's
0: not quite as mini as some of our minis. It's a chunky mini, a, a king size mini, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm so excited I that. for that. <laughs> it, I, I'm excited for that. Really excited because it's a case that I love talking about. Yeah,
1: it's not going to say interesting although it is. But yeah, it's a controversial case yeah. I think, yeah, for different reasons. So
0: so hopefully you'll listen to that then. Yeah. Thank you for joining us today. Absolutely. And um and we apologize if there was much background noise, but doing it outside is fun the <laughs> way forward, <laughs> isn't it now? <laughs> <laughs> i hope everyone's uh, getting closer to injection time i'm still waiting for my first but yeah kelly's fully i am
1: fully vaccinated fully
0: injected now my passport got a little
1: car to flash a good time to call a close on today's episode thanks, thanks for listening everybody yes thank you and stay safe out there stay safe Bye. bye